0: Welcome to Galhalla. Before we start our regularly scheduled podcast, I thought I'd review what's been going on over the last month since you last heard from us in a proper podcast. Though, as you know, you can access the Spotlight podcast, which is only 20 minutes, and a small bridge between the two longer podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Podbean, TuneIn and Stitcher. So what's been going on for the last two to three weeks? Honestly, I can't figure out whether or not it's been a slow news fortnight for all my fandoms and everything I work in, or whether I'm just out of the loop because I'm home. Either way, I've been crying about Supergirl, which has been super fun, um, and kind of foreshadows the next episode of this podcast. The other important thing to mention is that the Hugo nominations are now open, so if you have a membership for the Hugo Awards and you have read all 140 books eligible, you should start nominating. If, like me, you're still a little bit behind on the whole reading the 140 books, don't worry, you have time. The nominations are open for a while, yet. In other news... I read a bunch of lesbian fantasy books and posted about it on the blog. The only real thing that happened was Oscar, actually, not Oscar season, award season. Predictably, though, the Oscars were embarrassingly white. This caused some backlash. You had the whole Academy apologizing, Academy rewriting its voting rules, etc. But... My quick summary is award seasons. I love it for the actresses being gay with each other and John Boyega and no other reason. I mean, okay, Oscar noms. No one cares. Okay, I'm kidding. I've been seeing a lot of annoyance on my femslash Twitter and Tumblr about the fact that Rooney Mara was nominated as a supporting actress, which kind of confuses me since that's not the Academy's fault. It's not a handmaiden feudal lord kind of thing. It's actually the... Producers of the movie have to submit what categories their actresses are um, eligible for. So, if anything, it's Todd Haynes' fault, but it's it's not. It's just the best way to maximize getting as many wins as possible. So, yeah, it's. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. If, it, if that's not how it works, feel free to email in. Um, other news, oh, I can't believe The Big Short was nominated, though. I saw it recently. And it was so, eh? you know, it's, it was just like a lot of dude humor and a lot of dudes being dudes, saving the world, but being dudes. And I was just like, and, and it was like, we're going to uncover the awful lies of the banking industry. And then it really didn't. Anyway, um, I hated it. It was so boring. But the worst thing is my dad is a banker. So my dad took me to it all like super excited and my sister was like oh my god that was a great movie and um I was just back there being like uh it didn't pass the special test and everyone in my family got really annoyed with me anyway um in other Oscar things oh yeah I hope the Martian wins the best adaptation of a screenplay and also the best casting. I don't even know if the, I, I'm pretty sure it's nominated for best casting because, OK, look, that movie, that that movie is great. The book is garbage. How did they do that? We don't know. The, the that's the best adaptation. Like genuinely, they took this like weirdly sexist book and made it good. And um also like really boring book. And I, I mean, look. I'm reading Three Body Problem right now. I clearly don't have any problem with my sci-fi ebooks books being mathy. But it was, just, it was just boring. The only thing I liked about that book was The Friendship. And um, it just, it was not about friendship so much because he's alone on Mars. So, yeah, that book needed a good editor. But whatever. Um, oh, I also, I also really, really, really want Carol to win for best cinematography, like it deserves it. It was so beautiful. I mean, I know I'm saying this as a person who's seen it like under ten times, but over five. But like, come on, just just give just give us what we want. Other things that happened: the Golden Globes. I don't I don't know if anyone else sort of like blinked and missed them. The only the only thing I realized about the whole Golden Globes thing was Ricky Gervais being an asshole. But like, I didn't even watch the opening monologues I don't care. Um but, fun fact, if you type Golden Globes winners, something like that, into Google, the fact that Taraji P. Henson won is the first result. Okay, I told my sister this and she was like, Elizabeth, that's just cookies. It's because that's what you wanna read about. But you know what? I don't care. I I hope that for all of you, if you type in Golden Globe winners, Taraji P. Henson is the person. That comes up first, because she's the most important. The other, okay, I had to, I looked this up, because I didn't actually know if this happened. The Critics' Choice Award happened? I don't, I I don't know, no one won of importance. Nothing interesting happened, except for all the attractive people and beautiful dresses. Like, I looked through that gallery for a while. Not gonna lie. Um, People's Choice Award. Um, that is something I did know about. I know this was weeks ago, but look, Person of Interest won, as did Pitch Perfect, Supergirl, and Ellen. So basically, it was a great year for the gays in the People's Choice Award. Also, I just thought it was funny that Person of Interest, which was the first episode of my podcast, and Supergirl, which will be the second episode of my podcast, are on there showing that I am hip and with it. So that's it for the pop culture review of this month. Now onto our main feature, in which I interview Anya about her thoughts and feelings, Ray, the book of the month. Anya is an English and bio major at McGill, who I befriended in either 2013 or 2014, I don't remember, but in the same way that I befriended everyone. She once said something smart in one of my classes, I decided to adopt her as a friend and never let her leave. So, we've been friends ever since. She's a vocal member of several activist groups at McGill and runs her own radio show at the McGill Radio entitled Unfit to Print. Anya's been conducting a slow foray into the sci-fi fandom, and after we attended some sci-fi-related events together, I decided she had to read this book. Honestly, if this book is the best for sci-fi, in my opinion, and I'm so glad that Anya agrees with me. Anyway, on to that interview! So, this month's book was Ancillary Justice by Anne Leakey, which, um is described by Tor.com's book review by Liz Burke. Yeah, I'm an English major doing this. (laughs) As a a narrative in two parts, partially a thriller plot in which Breck, the last surviving ancillary soldier from the now-destroyed vessel, Justice of Taran, seeks to acquire a weapon with which Breck can kill the Lord of Rach. And then the other part, which is the past, where we learn what happened to set Breck on this course. Um, it's probably the best space opera I have ever read. I'm, like, super confident talking about that. (laughs) Like, it was just, like, a really complex space opera. Like, have you you read a lot of space operas?
1: No, I can't say that I have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like... The thing, I keep on reading all these articles that are like, oh, yeah, it's, like, connected to Left Hand of Darkness. And I'm like, I'm so embarrassed I haven't read that. Like, (laughs) like, I get that this is important to, like,
1: Ursula Le Guin's work, but... Yeah, I keep, like, seeing things comparing it to, like, Ursula Le Guin. She was the founder of this whole space opera genre, (laughs) but it's like, hmm, okay, I'll just take your word for it. (laughs) Exactly. I'm
0: like, oh, whoops. Like, should get on reading that. But, like... So one of the main reasons it's sort of connected to that is, of course, the whole gender play in uh, in the book. So the book is notable for the fact that um, the main character, it's a first-person narrative. And actually, uh, the NPR book review talks about it being a noir-esque story uh, because you have sort of the first-person point of view being sort of a hard-boiled um sad person (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, i love that comparison to be honest like i read that on the npr i i will obviously link these on the website i'm not just gonna like not cite them (laughs) like a bad person (laughs) um no so the npr review talked about sort of the hard-boiled um like breck narrator and how breck is constantly like i don't care about people and it's so great so breck speaks in a language that doesn't acknowledge gender so everyone is gendered as female and I was just like super interested in that, and I was wondering what what you thought about that because I'm not gonna lie, it took me about a hundred pages to realize that it was a language convention, not she was meeting everyone and everyone
1: was female. Yeah, no, I just assumed that. I'm like, oh, that's great. This is like completely like just female characters, which is which is awesome. But yeah, I think I only realized that when she's when she's like spoke to Stregan and she was making all those mistakes, right? And then Save Arden... Which, I don't know what this means, I guess, because I imagined them as, like, a woman, I guess. But then it was wrong. And then, I don't know, I felt like, I don't know how I felt, really, to be honest. But, um, yeah, and I think the audiobook also changed a lot of that. Because I didn't realize until after, but it's because a person is giving a voice to all these people. They kind of change the voices of the female and male characters. Really? Which I thought was kind of weird. Like, I don't know how I felt about that. Um, That that does sound weird. Like, wait, you, you did the Audible audiobook? Yeah. Oh, man.
0: That's, yeah, that's weird. What did you end up rating the narrator as, by the way? Just, like, an important, as in, like, on Audible, you know, you can, like, rate the, like, voice actor. I didn't
1: know that. I didn't rate them yet. Oh, my God. (laughs) Please tell me. (laughs) To be honest, (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't too (laughs) impressed, but.
0: (laughs) Yeah, especially if they changed the, like, voices.
1: Yeah, and I don't know how intentional that was. Maybe it was just me. Applying that after, but I felt like they kind of made like a deeper, more like authoritative voice for like the male oh, characters, which awkward. you can kind of <laughs> tell. Like, and I didn't really pick up on that until I realized the gender changes yeah, 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 or like yeah. the pronoun differences, <laughs> I guess. But I wonder how it would have felt if I just read the book and didn't have those voices.
0: Honestly, like I just I like until she has um, until Breck has that sort of standoff in the bar where she's like, I can't tell if all these people are male or female, and I want to be respectful. I'm just like. <laughs> Oh, Oh, this is Breck's, like, language thing. And that's, like, the other thing in the book that's such a big deal is the fact that in... By the way, how do you say the language? Ratch? Ratch. Ratch. Which sounds so funny, right? Ratch? (laughs) (laughs) It, like, looks really imperial written down, and then I was, like, trying to say it loud, and I was like, ooh. Yeah. Um, So in Ratch... Uh, the word for civilized is ratch. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. there is this like, it's it's super weird because I always felt like this book was like, like if, I mean, I found out later that Anne Leakey is like a secretary, but I thought she was like like an English like major person thinking about deconstruction. Like, I'm not <laughs> gonna lie. I was like, ooh, this book is doing really interesting things
1: about like linguistic conventions. Mm-hmm. And what was I gonna say? I totally forgot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, the gender thing, like Yeah, you'd have like I was just wondering like why do they not distinguish between gender? And then Stregan at one point asks Breck like, "How do you guys reproduce or find each other?" I forgot what she asked, but then he's like, "Why does that matter? You just go and get surgery or whatever, (laughs) like in the most normal way, like everyone does that." But I'm not sure how like Stregan's people did it either. So,
0: (laughs) man, and I think the like the thing I kind of loved about the whole gender thing for um like Breck and.
1: Save Arden. <laughs> Save Arden,
0: thank you. i just I keep on seeing the words in my head and not being able to say. Oh my them god, a lot. every time
1: I read science fiction novels, I just want like a million like kids so I can name <laughs> them these names. I thought Save Arden was like the prettiest name ever. I
0: love that name. Mm-hmm. It's such a good name. And like I love Save Arden as a character. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. she's my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I was like super attached to Brick, but like Save Arden is like the dumbest little drug addict and, like <laughs> idiot in the world and i'm like my daughter
1: almost like a sci-fi equivalent of like the dumb jock turned into <laughs> like i don't know
0: <laughs> it so is it's like the sci-fi like poor little savior and all she wants to do is be a good person and oh my god like i know i'm not going to spoil the sequels cuz i'm a good person but
1: <laughs> yeah, i haven't read them yet so
0: <laughs> but like in the sequels it's so cute, because, like, Breck's like, oh, I'm just gonna, like, go do a thing, and Savardin's like, don't get hurt. And <laughs> yeah. like, panicking the entire time, and Breck's like, hmm, I wonder why Savardin loves me so much.
1: Weird! Anyway! <laughs> yeah, it's like, I feel like, yeah, Breck just refuses to, like, acknowledge or think about it, because Savardin just completely follows Breck wherever <laughs> she goes, so. <laughs> and,
0: like, Breck's like, I'm gonna make a d- dumb decision, and Save Arden's like, Whatever you, whatever you feel like, I'm here for <laughs> you. Yeah, I'm your backup. <laughs> um, no, but okay. So, totally like the gender stuff. One of, so Liz Burke in her review on tour.com talks about how to some extent, like just using female pronouns is like enforcing the gender binary by like acknowledging that it's there. And I was thinking about that and I was like, how else would you sort of deconstruct that in a sci fi book? You know,
1: mm-hmm. like deconstruct the gender binary.
0: Well, just or... like yeah, just be able to talk about like uh, a, like alien species, who doesn't believe in gender. Like, how would you talk about that mm-hmm. in without? using like I mean you you are bound to speak in English like it's an important thing for sci-fi <laughs> <Yeah. holes. laughs> imagine if you like pick this book up and it was like all in Ratch and you were like hmm, okay <laughs> what a book anyway. <laughs> but anyway I was just sort of like thinking about it because I I think the way the book presents it's like gender politics in such a natural way It's what really did it for me. Like, nowhere is there, like, a big disclaimer. Like, she doesn't have a footnote the first time she uses she, where she's like, this is the only pronoun I'm going to use. Suck it!
1: Yeah. And and you really start to see when she's like, what's the difference, I guess. And I thought that was really important to bring up. Because at first I'm like, is she just being rude? Or, like, (laughs) is this um, an actual, like, breakdown of, like, gender binaries? Because it doesn't, at a sci-fi, like, I don't think it matters that much or it doesn't matter. I don't know. And there's
0: also that that whole thing where she's like, where Breck is standing in the bar, and she's like, "It's so different to tell apart genders because in different societies they have different things mm-hmm. that yeah, tells exactly. them apart." Yeah, <laughs> which reminds me of this like really dumb Tumblr post I saw like ages ago, where it was, like, imagine, like, alien species not having no gender, but rather having, like, a, uh, like, weird gender system, like, whether or not you have backpack, this, like, certain type of back bacteria, or a different type of back bacteria, <laughs> like, I was just sort of imagining that, like, Brecht just being like, how am I meant to tell? You all look the same. <laughs> and I think that sort of plays into what, my io9 review of ancillary justice was talking about which was the sort of how breck is both an alien and not an alien in the society mm-hmm. and that actually becomes a bigger deal in the second and the third book where like actual aliens are introduced so like people outside of the ratch society but um i think that sort of breck's outside perspective that isn't really an outside perspective is so interesting because she has this like fascination and love like as you see with like lieutenant on she has this like love for humans that um allows her to like comment on them in interesting ways but she's still like an outsider she still can't tell what gender people are
1: yeah and it's i noticed at least in the book like i found her getting more human as the books continued because she started expressing, like, anger and, like, responding back in, like, sassy yeah. ways. Oh. Like, it was there in the beginning, too, but it was, like, more market I, I yeah. found by the end of the book. Um, yeah.
0: And, oh, my God, let's just talk about Lieutenant On because uh, if uh, Save Arden is, like, one of my girlfriends, Lieutenant On is the other one. Yes. <laughs> like, she's, like, the best. And, like, you know, the whole... So I think one of the things that I really, like, want to preface this, like, book with... In for the book club is that it is kind of hard to get into because you have um, like Breck seeing herself and like talking about how she's like this like polyvocal but still first person narrator.
1: Yeah, there was that one confusing part. It was like it was right. me, but it was me, and it was like <laughs> I don't know. The she's narrator like, tried, but it didn't really she's help. Like
0: much. I'm watching myself as I pace through the square, and then I'm in the square, and I'm like, God damn it! Like, <laughs> but on the other hand, it like. It's like it's like really hard to get into, but once you're there, it's so easy.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm, exactly. Like-
0: Oh man. I it's just... like a little bit
1: overwhelming at first, I'd yeah, say, just right. to get used to like every little thing that's happening. But once you're in it, it's like, oh my God, this is. I was one, when, when that thing happened in Lieutenant On, I literally closed the book and like <laughs> sobbed in my bed for like half an hour and then went to go study for my exams and then like re, like opened the book like a day later. It was too sad. I needed to like take a break. And like, you can't vent to people about this because they don't have, they have no This like, this robot and like this Lieutenant on the ship that. Also is the robot, like, oh my god. <laughs> it's it's so, like, <laughs> I had so many Tumblr posts in which I was like, my trash AI and her
0: wonderful lieutenant. And people were like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, no, and this is the same when you're like trying to talk about like Save Arden and you're like, my trash drug addict and her dumb <laughs> yeah.
0: AI friend who she's in love with <laughs> are hanging out again. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like... The one thing that I think I adore about both Ancillary Justice and just like the whole series in general is that Anne Leakey manages to get like the like both alien and very human Breck on like the le- like the meta level of narrative. Like you mm-hmm. expect the book to have a sort of a resolution. Like, I'm not gonna lie, I thought she was gonna she was gonna manage to shoot
1: the Emperor
0: Andrew, me and I. Andrew, me and I. Thank you so much for uh, for bringing the audiobook knowledge. So I thought I thought it was gonna be like. Well, actually, I don't know whether or not I. I was like so at the edge of my seat because it was such a thriller, and I was like, "What's gonna happen?" And when the end of the book just gives you like this total like turnaround,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was
0: like, "Hot damn!"
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I found the ending, like, really confusing for me as well, because there's so many things happening in so many different levels of conflict. (laughs) I wasn't even sure, like, what she actually wanted at the end of it, but... And I think that's,
0: like, such a big thing, because it's sort of, that, like, echoes through all three, like, books. There is this, like, to some extent, Breck not knowing what she wants. Like, Breck is, like... I I want to like I want to have revenge but I also can't go back in time and like save on so I don't want to save on but I want to save on sister and it's like mm-hmm. this whole it's so interesting because I think that's probably the most human part of the book is how sort of um, it is, to some extent, a book about Breck grieving and dealing with the fact. Also, by the way, all the reviews keep on calling her Breck. I called her one-esque for the entire time I was, like, reading the book and talking about the book. So I'm, like, having
1: a hard time switching to Breck, because I'm, like, she's one-esque. I'm, I'm good. I like thinking of it more as one-esque, too, because right. it's, like, the little part of the right. ship that, like, ran away with feelings. <laughs> I know! <laughs> I thought it was, the most, like, the most endearing thing ever. I don't know. I, like, I yeah. No, um, oh, my God. No, she's just, like... She's such a good character, but also she goes through grief
0: in such a, like, okay, this is partially because I'm on Tumblr too much, but Tumblr is obsessed with the, like, five stages of grief, and they love making, like, Mm gift sets where it's like, your character is going through stage four. (laughs) 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 But, like, genuinely, you could map those stages on so well, but the book never actually told you, like oh yeah, 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 Breck's going through grief for the last 2,000 years, <laughs> or so, like you know, you just sort of had to see that's what's happening and that's why, okay, so when Anya started reading this book, I told her specifically, um, message me when Breck jumps, because I think that scene where Breck like, save Arden what falls off a cliff or just like slips on she some just ice. She
1: walks backwards right? <laughs> it was the weirdest shit. <laughs> She's <thing>. an idiot
0: <laughs> but trash drug addict is an idiot, <laughs> and so she like falls and like it's like clinging onto the edge of a cliff and uh one ask is like well there's no way to save her so one ask literally jumps off the cliff in order to save her dumb trash drug addict that she doesn't even like (laughs) like that scene is so important to me because i think that scene was like the moment in which I truly, like, got one-esque as a character, which sounds so dumb. Mm-hmm. Because in that scene, she, like, jumps off a cliff for someone she claims she does not like.
1: Yeah, I think that was important for me, too, because kind of like what you were saying, it was the first part time that I realized, like, she doesn't say everything that she's exactly. feeling. And I was like, oh my God, like you can't just pretend that you had no, like you didn't <laughs> like them and then you jump off right? the cliff. And it was the same for Lieutenant Odd because, you know, the robot reveals nothing, but then you see all these things happening. And it's like, okay, like as someone that doesn't have any emotions right? or like grief would never do this. Right? right? It's exactly that. Like you think... I mean, I'm an English major. I should know better about first-person narrators. And, right? It always catches me off guard. I always feel a little betrayed or like, oh my, I never saw this coming even since, like, right? the 65th time. <laughs> like, goddammit, another flawed like, narrator. Never saw this one. And this one was a robot. I had more right? trust in this one. Exactly. Like, I thought she was going to be, like, really hip and with it and together. But no,
0: <laughs> she had a lot of emotions. And, like, I just, I just think that... um and that's why I think it's so important to me that the book sort of starts with her watching herself because it like it sort of foreshadows the like different versions of the eye that she tries to put forward because she's always trying to be like, as a cold, emotionless being, mm-hmm. I am just here to murder one person <laughs> and then like
1: the I other feel like plot. she's trying to play play like up the badass in her. <laughs> she's like, I could kill all these people <laughs> <laughs> if I wanted to <laughs> like. <laughs> It's that whole like
0: right, that whole like ninja thing when she's like, I'm so fast because I'm an ancillary. And I'm like, Yeah, you're really fast, but you're also a fucking idiot. Like <laughs> you jumped off a cliff. So <laughs> I love that. It's just it's so great. And the best thing is like that like comes to haunt her in like the second and the third book. Like in the second book, she's on a ship where there's like a um a doctor and the doctor is like how did you hurt your hip? Why didn't you ever tell me about this? And she's like, oh, nothing. It was a thing I did once that asked me about hurting my hip.
1: <laughs> it's just, it's so good. Or like, I think she says it to a doctor in the first book and they just don't believe her. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You jumped off a cliff for someone you hated.
0: <laughs> Man, no. And actually, um, so yeah, like, so many, so many good. What, what were your favorite moments?
1: I mean, I don't want, like, I don't know about favorite moments, but intense moments. Because yeah. I don't want to say my favorite moment was when, like, some, the main character died. But, like, <laughs> I was really emotionally, like, right, connected yeah. at oh that moment, God, you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so much. Like, I I knew, like, I didn't even know that they were going to go all the way. Like, I thought, like, she would have, like, on held prisoner or something like that and then to, like, kill her. And my favorite part is that I didn't realize that, like, Lieutenant Ahn is important, but she's not, like, the most important person on the ship. So yeah. to have, like... One esque, uh, be like, I'm gonna rebel right now and have the like captain of the ship and the like ancillary serving him. The ancillary serving him is like, oops, something happened. <laughs> like, uh oh. <laughs> and it's like this great moment because in all the other um, in all the other books, they're like, oh yeah, like a captain means the most to an ancillary. And then I was like, well, not not to one esque. Yeah, because they all have
1: their favorite captains <laughs> right. or whatever. But oh, it was I don't know. I love it that was so, so important. much. And also another actually two favorite like not like moments in the book but like parts is like one S like songs. (laughs) I thought it was so cute. Like oh my god It's so
0: important. (laughs) She just sits there singing and my favorite thing is that like Breck doesn't have a good singing voice at all.
1: The so narrator like, didn't either. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like like Breck, like the the narr the like some of the ancillaries had like good singing voices so no one really minded, but like Breck has a terrible singing voice, so everyone in like the second and the third book is like, God damn it. Why did they why is the one surviving body Breck?
1: <laughs> Breck even <laughs> so good. Yeah, well Lieutenant On like did right. so whatever. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> yeah, and then the other part was just, like, the random, like, obsession with tea, I guess. I, which I think it was just a throwback to, like, imperialism in the British yeah, or something. And yeah, I'm just, yeah. like, I don't know. I just thought it was really funny. Like, Well, but, like, talking
0: about that, like, I think this book put itself in dialogue with, um, sort of, science fiction ideals about, like, civilization and stuff more than anything because it talked about how in Ratch culture, like, blackness was seen as a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, in so many like sci fi books, TV shows, everything, like the like Supreme Alien is like all white and like all those mm-hmm. things and they always talk about that. And I think it's it really interested me that like Anne Leakey, a like secretary in I don't I don't know where she lives, but the middle of nowhere America <laughs> who is like a little like a little old white lady who like genuinely thought about her and I think it sort of talks I mean, a lot of her book I think is in dialogue with Like, just the tradition of science fiction space operas. Mm -hmm. But that really struck me. And I didn't know how I felt about it. Like, honestly, like, I thought because there is, like... In only the first book do they make a big deal out of it. Because in the second and the third, it's, like, nothing. But in the first book, it's mentioned that, like, blackness is the most beautiful, like, five times.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it goes back to the whole... And like he just kind of using like or like exaggerating it to like flip it. Yeah, exactly. It's like the same thing with the the female pronouns. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, just yeah. so you can pay attention to me, like oh, like what the fuck?
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was. It was kind of. It's it's super interesting, and I really liked it, but. I did I did think she was a person of color. Like, I didn't, like, look her up or anything. But when I was reading the book, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And then I found out she was a white lady, and I was like, I see where you got this from, and I see what you're trying to do, and I think it's interesting. But, like, there were moments, actually, this mainly talks about, like, book two, where that kind of squeaks me, because um, book two has, like, an element of talking about, like, how, you know, so the Rats take over planets, mm-hmm. and they, like, enslaved a whole species. And I think Whenever like this is probably this goes back to I watched a playthrough of bioshock Infinite um so spoilers for Bioshock Infinite um <laughs> it has like a moment in which there's like this black lady who is um getting back at white people for like like enslaving her for the last like a hundred years, and so she kills white people, and the the game has this whole thing where they're like because she like she's exactly as bad as the white people now that she is killing them and it's like really like weird and you're like actually no <laughs> she isn't and i kind of felt like i think this is like again way stronger in the second book but there is like an element where she's like talking about like racial relations and i'm like ooh <laughs> i don't know if this is like the right place to to some extent mm-hmm. though i do i do agree that i think um the tea culture was definitely a throwback to england <laughs> especially because in the second book it's a tea plantation oh, like oh my god right, you
1: that right that's just literally right. making a reference <laughs>
0: and then there's a slave revolt on the like tea plantation and i'm like mm. and like the whole point is like breck tries to find a like a fair and just solution and like people keep on being like to her like you're gonna you're gonna like be the best person to happen to this planet and she's like i'm gonna abolish slavery but like i i can't like bringing justice is not that easy mm-hmm. and it's like really interesting because they're like all this like dialogue about it but it just interests me because i think so much of space opera um like the genre is often put in dialogue with like ideas of like yeah for sure mm-hmm. and i think that i think that it's important and i like it that it's addressed But I was always sort of thinking about it, like, I wish that Anne Leakey had had, like, one, like, friend of color to, like, read it over for her. Mm -hmm. Because there were just, like, moments where I was like, ooh.
1: Because, yeah, often, I'm, like, I just got into a little, like, sci-fi thing, like, this term, I guess, or, like, this year. So now I'm, like, that's why when I read this book, I already had, like, that, like, perspective, I guess. And I've been reading a lot of, like... Uh, sci-fi written by like women of color and stuff and it's kind of used as like you know that's why people write sci-fi in the yeah, first yeah, yeah. place to like escape all this stuff right? and like create their own like speculative exactly. like or visionary fiction or whatever and it's kind of yeah it's kind of weird when like a white person kind of right. does that for you and it's like <laughs> uh, I don't know <laughs> right
0: but like as a white person I was like oh this is I uh, like just so clear. this is why I re- it was really important to me to have like Eleni of color talk to me about this mm-hmm. book because I was just like I think that there are like I fucking love this book and I think it's a really great book to have. It's the first book of my book club. It's like I have like a blur of it on Goodreads where I'm like, by the way, I chose this book because I think it has a really good queer romance in the sense that like how do you say her name again? Say it again. One more time. Save
1: Arden? Yes. Okay.
0: Save Arden. <laughs> I keep on like having it at the tip of my tongue. Like the Save Arden and like one ask romance I think is um is like really really beautiful because it's like So cute, but also, like, Mm. so intensely platonic. Like, there's cuddling in book three. That's the only spoiler I'm going to give anyone. They cuddle in book three. And I swear to God, like, I had to, like, bury my face in a pillow and scream. (laughs) (laughs) I was so emotional about it.
1: Also, like... People, I don't. I this is the one concept that I didn't really grasp, like clientage and stuff. Maybe explain more in the other sequels. It's really not. Okay, never mind.
0: It's like so. One of the one of the three. I'll mention this on the podcast notes because I can't look it up right now. One of the three book reviews talked about how um, the like houses and clientage was instead of gender, which I think is weird, and I don't know if they misread the book. Because I didn't see that. Wait, clientage for gender? Or? Well, it's sort of talking about how, like, the most important thing in that world was having, um, like, who your house allegiance was.
1: Oh, so it was kind of like taking someone in and, like, exactly. being their patron or whatever. Yeah,
0: and so, like, so, um, uh, Save Arden. Uh, <laughs> Save Arden. I'm so happy I have you here. <laughs> Save Arden, um, her, like, she used to be in a very, like, important house, mm-hmm. but not anymore. So I think it is a throwback to, like, Again, like, the British sort of class system and allegiances of families.
1: Because, yeah, I was wondering if there was, like, a romantic context because people were asking, one asked, like, if she was going to offer oh, save Harden yeah. clientage. So I'm like, is that, like, getting married or something?
0: I think it was a wealth game, but often, like, you could exchange, like, if a higher house was going to give a lower house clientage, often, like, it was sort of implied that someone was getting their sexy on
1: to <laughs> <you> get that. <laughs> yeah, because she was asking uh, Lieutenant Skye, right. like... Are you going to offer her sister clientage right. or like stuff like that? And I'm like, which I think is also interesting commentary the right. fact that she like explicitly kind of like shows yeah. relationships as a trade of like goods or yeah, something. Yeah,
0: it's so true. And then, and it, that's why like the like relationship between Saberden and, and like one esque is so important because mm-hmm. it's like this like.
1: Pure, good. <laughs> but jumping <laughs> off a cliff relationship, <laughs> that's what I aspired to as well. <laughs> Don't lie. You would love it if someone jumped off a cliff for you. <laughs> Sigh. <laughs>
0: Especially when she's like, I hate this person. I Like, I swear to God, this book just like... Literally took all my favorite fanfiction tropes and was like, have it in a book with an AI. <laughs> yeah. like I'm just like trash for good AIs. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm watching a Portal playthrough right now. And have you have you ever no? Okay, so Portal Two is this game. Max actually recommended it last episode. So okay. <laughs> just keeping up some continu- um, continuity between okay. the podcasts here. But um, so in Portal, um, you're basically like running through um. I don't know, like a testing center. And um, you have this like AI that sort of just like comments on what you're doing and like how are you doing it and stuff, and like in the first game, you kill her after you figure out she's evil, so in the second game you have you like accidentally resurrect her, and uh she literally just like is like really bitchy to you all the time, but its so good like she like she has this one great moment where she's like, um, oh, the test results came in. oh, it says you're a horrible person. We weren't even testing for that, <laughs> and like stuff like that, or she's like, you know most people when they're when they're in suspension, they end up um." they end up losing a lot of weight. Not you, though. You managed to even gain a couple of <laughs> <thousand>. <laughs> It's, like, so great. But anyway, so, like, I swear to God, this book was, like, so you love uh, friends to enemies. Uh, no, enemies to friends to lovers trope. And uh, you love AIs. So here you go, The perfect book for you. <laughs> and it's all in space. <laughs> With perfect world building, like...
1: Yeah, I think maybe it's because you were telling me about this book before, but as soon as she like found her in this, I'm like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna do it or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing this book missed that I like. I I didn't actually want, but like normally in stories, I'm there for the sex, but this one I was like be platonic. Well, I mean, married. yeah, do they even
1: have sex if right? they just know, get things right. inserted into them? Like, I don't even want to know. About no. that.
0: <laughs> I just, like, that's why then like, in book three, when they cuddle, it was like, that, this is it. This yeah, is maybe like, they just cuddle, because right?
1: Lieutenant On in the sky did do something yeah, at one point, right? but...
0: <laughs> we don't really want to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, do we want to know?
0: <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It's just, it's so great. So many, so many elements of this book just, like, get me mm-hmm. as a human being. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm just, like, so into... Like, I, I found out today while I was doing the, just sort of, like, last research for this podcast that there are two short stories that Anne Leakey wrote that are also set in this world. And I'm like, I'm so fucking reading those. Like, I'm so excited. Is the
1: trilogy over then? Is it just three books? Or are there yeah. more coming? It's okay. just
0: three books. I really hope she's gonna, like, write more. <coughs> Anne Leakey, if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> One, I'm sorry. Two, write more books. Um, <laughs> yours, Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, so... Um, Again, the trilogy ends in the most surprising way that you would not see coming because Mm -hmm. she does this thing like so um, for because it was just NaNoWriMo. So um, Neil Gaiman did like a talk where he was like, so your character is in like in a like massive battle and they're about to die. What do you do? And Neil Gaiman was like, "One." kill them see what happens next or two like try and figure it out but in a way where your reader would be like oh my god this is so obvious why didn't I figure it out but it was it's like a totally unexpected um thing which by the way Neil Gaiman is terrible advice because like if I could come up with something different and like fun and new I wouldn't be having a problem writing the scene. would I
1: (laughs) (laughs) just just figure out something genius at the end duh
0: (laughs) <laughs> that's literally what the advice was. I was like mm, zero out of ten, <laughs> zero out of ten. But I feel like that's what Anne Leakey does, and I don't know whether or not she like thought about the series for like twenty years or something. Because I feel like I she was... must
1: have like, I, didn't she publish or try to get sci-fi books published before, but then it was rejected, and she tried again. I have no,
0: I haven't, I haven't read anything about that. I mean, I like all I know is that like she published this, she published like ancillary Justice, and it got like every award on the planet. Like yeah. <laughs> literally, people were just throwing things at her. <laughs> Though, oh, my God, I am. Um, so this semester I did a, a class on cultural studies and I read a um, cultural critic called Andreas Huyssen, who um, who's like whole thing. He wrote in like the 70s, 60s or 70s. And like he was one of the first people to be like, you know, everyone's hatred of um, mass culture is because mass culture is aligned with woman. And um, uh, so when I had to, like, go do a discussion about it, I actually had to miss it. So I had to, like, write in a response because I went to New York Comic Con. That's why I missed it. Um, (laughs) Good time. Yeah, (laughs) thanks. Um, But for my response, I wrote in about how – so Andreas Hoysen's whole thing is that men are worried that mass culture is, like – emasculating them and like they like they have castration anxiety that is expressed through their sort of hierarchy of modernism um versus uh mass culture it's a pretty like i'm just like reducing this argument to like the barest bones but anyway i wrote in um my like Two hundred words of co- um, contribution to the discussion were about how um, Anne Leakey winning the Hugo Awards was like the ultimate like castration anxiety for men. Like this is a novel in which men aren't acknowledged <laughs> like, like at all. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and as a result, like just like I don't want to give Anne Leakey too much credit here, but she created the whole puppy like puppy gate that happened at the Hugo's.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that makes me so happy. Inside.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the argument just mapped on. Perfectly, I was like Andreas Hoyson, you writing in the sixties seventies. I need to review this because I have an exam on on this on Friday, <laughs> but uh, he just knew he knew what was up, but um, yeah, I just like love, and the thing is, like this book, all the reviews that I was quoting all written by ladies, so <laughs> this book clearly worked well for the ladies, but it's i actually like so one of the other things I was reading was that um. Anne Leakey had, um, inspiration, obviously, from, um, Ursula Le Guin, but also C.J. cherry who's, um, I will, I will check that pronunciation, and it will be on the podcast. <laughs> um, and Ian M. Banks, those are, the, like, the two other sci-fi authors that okay. she was really in dialogue with, um, and I have, actually, the first book of the cherry um, trilogy, so I'm, like, psyched to read it, but, um. It's, like, so cool because she was just sort of talking about how her book really was in dialogue with a lot of um, space opera stuff. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: like, even in the limited amount of books that I've read, I definitely see a lot of, like connections, I guess, especially with the whole like only females. I think that's something that's definitely explored a lot in a lot of books, which is great. I'm not arguing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's great. Actually, Sadie Doyle has a super interesting... She's uh, one of my favorite journalists. She has a really cool article about all-female worlds. So, the woman who wrote The Yellow Wallpaper, Charlotte M... Perkins, yeah, Perkins, I think, yeah, yeah, something Perkins, Charlotte Perkins. There's a like something in between. Um, <laughs> she um, she wrote a book call, uh, called called her story something along yeah so like history but with her story and um it's all about a like magical world in which um it's they're just like women who just want to be left alone with their cats and then like Mm -hmm. like annoying men invade it and the women are like for fuck's sake all we wanted to do was like hang out with the cats (laughs) and how there's like this like literary tradition of like all female utopias that just get like destroyed by dudes like coming in being like if I poke this what would happen this red button says nuclear strike what happens if I if I hit it oh whoops I hit it (laughs) (laughs) and like I just love that this book is in dialogue with all those traditions without like explicitly having men ruin it like that's Mm -hmm. the interesting thing is so many books about like female utopias have men come in and then fuck everything up (laughs) because like women trying to like imagine like I I just love that like in the 50s and 60s when women were trying to imagine like female utopias there was always like a man in the back of their head like knocking on the door being like hey 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 (laughs) what if I entered your world (laughs) it's like the whole thing with like Wonder Woman living on a like all-female island and like men when men are like um how does that work Like, I'm confused. And then, like, Superman and Batman are like, wait, no, no, we don't get it. We
1: don't, we we, we don't
0: understand. (laughs) It's so good. But, yeah, I just feel like you just need to protect those all-female spaces. And Mm -hmm. Lee really did that. Yeah, She us... literally she did it. <laughs> well done, Anne. We can all stop writing now.
1: <laughs> it's solved. Did it's it. solved.
0: <laughs> well, actually, okay, the other thing that I love about this. Do you know what Yuletide is? Y- yes. I mean, like, obviously Yuletide is a time of year. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> but it's it's this um like fan fiction event where you um request um it's like a, a fic exchange for rare fandoms. So most of the time okay i definitely didn't know what that was yeah sorry i didn't think so i did not even know what the actual event was so. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's like basically uh the series is a rare fandom i mean a lot of books are like that's the big thing you have like books and video games and then like some like tv shows that no one's heard of um those are like the like main rare fandoms and comics that's the other one and um so I'm signed up as a pinch hitter, so I get, like, emails. Actually, right now I'm getting, like, 30 emails a day being, like, these are all the stories that people have defaulted on, so if you have extra time, just write them. And I actually have no extra time to write them, but I love being on the pinch hitter list because I get to see all the, like, what people are interested in in this series. And um, so many people are requesting, like, just, like, Breck hanging out with um, Arden and, like, Breck hanging out with Lieutenant On and like uh-huh. stuff like that. And it's so good. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this whole fandom is full of people who just love it. Like <laughs> like also my um So the host of a podcast that I love, Fangirl Happy Hour, her review of um, the third book was literally just there are cuddles in this and it got like the most likes of any review she's ever posted on Goodreads (laughs) because everyone was like, fuck, yeah, (laughs) this is what
1: we want.
0: (laughs) Because, yeah, I think so really this book has everything that's important to me. Space, friendship, um, ladies, fighting. (laughs) Like jumping off cliffs.
1: (laughs) Yep, Yep. covers it all. Right, right. (laughs)
0: So important.
1: I think, yeah, like when I started this, you told me that you were explaining yeah. the romance and you said that they <laughs> cuddled in the third book, so yeah. that's like my ultimate goal of reading this book. I don't know yeah. whatever even happens with annexations. Right. Just Who wanna cares? see them cuddle.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who even cares about the Emperor when you can have adorable friendships? Like, <laughs> and like the best the other thing is so this is another thing, I know I'm like these are like super minor spoilers for the third book, but there is like this <laughs> interaction, like Save Arden is, like, friends with this person. And then Saevarden is, like, an idiot because, like, she does come from 2,000 years ago. But also, she was, like, a really big classist asshole 2,000 years ago. So she still kind of is now. And, like, there is this, like, 100-page-long thing in the third book where, like, Saevarden has to, like, really think about why what she said is insulting and why she has to, and, like, how she can apologize well. And, like, that never gets any attention. Like, it's, like... Essentially, this book is just like healthy relationships in space, (laughs) like like a primer on how to be a good person also sit in space. (laughs) And I think that's just like really important. Like you just have so much of the book is like trying to figure out what is what is it to be human and what is it to be a good human? Mm -hmm. Because like, yeah, we all know the emperor is a bad human. Well, but how can you be a good human? How can you be a good human ruling over...
1: Or, like, also, like, what you're willing to do in the face of, like, a bad person right. or, like, bad things that's, like, really, like, I don't know, playing it low. Like, there's terrible things right. that were happening. But, I don't know, like, the. at Streak, at one point, she was saying, like, oh, these are, like, abstract choices that you're right. saying, but, like, these affect actual people. Like, yeah. would you die for them? Or, like, she questions, like, one S questions out of herself. Yeah. And, and I think people. that's so
0: important. And, like, like, just going back to the cliff scene, like, she is, like, she does jump off a cliff. For a person, she claims she hates. Um, (laughs) But, like, she is willing to die for someone because she thinks it's the right thing to do. And, like, I think that's so important to me, like... on on repeat that this book and that's why I think I am like willing to forgive some of the like weird racial implications of the series because essentially what the book is trying to talk about is like what it means to be human and what it means to like look for justice and what it means to like try and rectify so much because so much of like books that you read now I'm thinking specifically about the Hunger Games series are like about like toppling the evil regime whereas this book is like how are you going to topple an evil regime that goes across all of space? Firstly, mm-hmm. like, distances are a problem. But also, like, without becoming an evil person, you know? Mm-hmm. I just think, like, it's just such a cool question for, a, a like, a book series to ask and then also not necessarily give you a def- definite answer for.
1: Yeah, because, like, you actually, like, it's not just within the book, right? It's right. real life. Like, I went to another talk where they were talking about sci-fi and like resistance and stuff but like she jokingly mentioned Mockingjay and the Hunger Games because like these people like go to the theater and like watch Mocking and, like, yeah, like, Resistance, but then they see, like, Black Lives Matter protesters right. and, like, oh, what are these people doing? Like,
0: Who was like, that? Sorry? who? Where was the talk? Who, who was it?
1: Um It was related to, like, Culture Shock, and it was the editor of Octavia's Brood.
0: Oh, wow. So that was going to oh, be yeah, my yeah. thing that I was going to say right. at the end, but sorry. anyway, I'll say it again. <laughs> you have to say it again. <laughs> Man, that sounds super cool, though, because that's... It's so true. Like, you do have... And it's the same with, like, Star Wars. Like, okay, so... Yeah, Star
1: Wars. I think right? we talked about this right, before, yeah. but yeah, sorry. But, like...
0: uh trying to remember what the raymond williams there we go um so again with the cultural studies i'm sorry people i'm studying (laughs) for an exam Um, so cultural studies did an analysis of star wars and how the original star wars series so this is my professor posited this by looking at star wars in connection with raymond williams Uh, i don't know if he was citing someone i will look that up for you but um he essentially talked about how Star Wars was all about, like, America as a country trying to align itself, like, trying to, like, replay the Vietnam War, but this time aligning itself with the, like, mystical East. Please hear the um, quotation marks. Because, like, in this, like, new, like, recasting of the Vietnam War almost, America is Luke Skywalker, the nice farm boy who is fighting against the evil regime Mm -hmm. and sort of looking at the u.s as the hero figure and stuff like that and that's so that's such a common thing in sci-fi it's just like people trying to like rectify things but in a very black and white way you know Mm -hmm. like in star wars it's it's obvious who's right like yeah you're not you're not gonna go into
1: star wars and be like i hope the sith win (laughs) well i don't know there could be people that really misinterpreted the, the story but yeah that's the good thing about Larry justice, I yeah. guess because it's so complicated, like right, what would you do and in it's that the situation? thing it, like, it
0: it constantly asks you that, and I think that it asks you that and also doesn't really let you off the hook. It's like, look, if this machine is thinking about this, why aren't you like,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and
0: I think that that's just a really, really interesting thing and that's why I think I'm also, like, more willing... Not more willing. That's why I'm super willing to let the, like, race stuff not bother me as much. Mm-hmm. Because I think that although Anne Leakey did, like, accidentally occupy a weird space, her, like, overall questions are so smart mm-hmm. and, like, true to what she's talking about that um, I can see exactly why she wanted to cast the, like, evil people as tea-drinking like. <laughs> like, colonists, and, like, I don't know. It's just also the other thing, by the way, that I think is super interesting is that um, we never actually get any physical descriptions, so, like, we actually don't know whether or not they're humanoid.
1: Yeah, right, and you mentioned this before about, like, the alien species and stuff, but it's, like, again, I keep making comparisons to, like, actual things, and, like, the fact that they don't see these uncivilized people as human, they see them as, like, -like animal-like and savage. It's, like... I don't know. Exactly. I feel like it's pretty obvious what she's trying to say there. Yeah. Like what she's comparing it to. I don't
0: know. It's just, it's so interesting. And I really, I just, I just love so many different aspects of the series. I think the series lends itself to rereading really well too. Mm-hmm. And, ah, oh, man. And I just, I think that the gender thing is just really interesting. I really, really want to read Ursula Le Guin though now. Like this, every time I sit down to read this, because I think like Ursula Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness is such a dark book. Like, it's just depressing. I mean, it's in, like, fields of ice, so it's obviously gonna happen. And yet, somehow, Anne Leakey managed to take, like, this, like, sad, almost, premise and translate it into this book about friendship and, like, talking about fundamental human themes in a a fundamentally cheerful way, even though it's talking about, like, really awful things. Like, you just, you love all the characters so Mm -hmm. organically, you know?
1: Yeah, and I hope, like, someone reading this doesn't just take away, like, oh, right. she tried to, you know, avenge her, like, right, loved ones or whatever, like, exactly. there's so much more, even though that's, like, such a good aspect of it, too. Yeah,
0: no, I don't know. Oh, man, it's so good. I mean, to some extent, she's also avenging her own death, like... True, yeah, I keep forgetting that part. <laughs> like, <laughs> she died. She dead, like... <laughs> she gone, <Right? laughs> She ended up on an ice spot in the middle of nowhere, like... With her, like, ninja skills... God, I love her so much. She's so good. She's, anyway, yeah. final, final thoughts. Do you have anything to end at the end? Other than this is great. Everyone
1: should read it. Yeah, everyone <laughs> should read this. And I'm like really looking forward to reading the sequels now. Like, oh,
0: man. I'm so excited for you too. You have to, you have to. It like, ended in such a me.
1: weird place. So. Exactly.
0: And like, that's how I feel with every single book in this, this trilogy. Like it ends in a weird place, but I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Like it ends and I'm like, huh. I didn't think you were going to end it there. But I'm also cool with it because I feel like that was true Mm -hmm. to who get all Bracko is like, she's going to be a bitch about it isn't she
1: like it's funny cuz i was listening to the audiobook version of this right so i didn't know when it was going to end or not cuz i was right, like looking yeah, at the yeah. time but there was this chapter before two chapters before where right? i'm so glad this isn't where it ended cuz it would have been so cheesy but like save Arden's like are you going to come with me i don't know the exact words right. i don't even yeah. know what i'm quoting but it's like are you going to come with me and she's like always or something like that and i'm just like please don't end here that that's just too much but thank god it continued but right. it. could. Could have ended there, but I'm glad that was avoided. Yeah, that's the thing.
0: Like the other good thing is that like all the like adorable lovey dovey stuff is like super muted. Like she's like, it's really important that they're friends and that they love each other. But also, let's get back to the saving the world,
1: to like saving lives and all this stuff, and destroying the Lord of the Raj,
0: that terrible person. God, I hated her
1: so much. Like I still hate her. She's an awful, awful person. She's. I can't get over her voice. Like, just the way that she addresses people. And then at one point, she took on the voice. Like, she, the body, I forgot. Mm -hmm. I don't, she becomes like a five year old girl or something. (laughs) You don't know how scary that was listening to it on my, like, headphones. That was traumatizing. Oh my god,
0: I bet. Oh. I have to say, that's, like, one of those tropes, though, that I, like, embarrassingly love. Like, um, like evil people, and like, embody five-year-olds. <laughs> I really haven't
1: encountered it that much, I don't think. But it was very shocking when that, I was, yeah. <laughs> it is a trope, though, because I know that, because when I was 14, I wrote a story in
0: which that happened. And um, when I was 14, I don't know how to say this, I wasn't exactly, like, <laughs> at the cutting edge. <laughs> <laughs> Literary fiction, yeah, it was a vampire novel, and the vampire queen was, like, an eight-year-old girl
1: in in my book in in my book is it like a sci-fi trope because again i'm not very well versed in I don't stuff, know but... because
0: I mean if I, if I saw it when I was 14 i i would have to check out tvtropes.com my uh, <laughs> go
1: to source for everything. okay yeah. my God,
0: did I tell you that i I cited TV tropes in one of my essays? like I'm a like fourth year undergraduate Just pushing those boundaries. Right? <laughs> <laughs> It's because i needed I needed a good definition of uh vagina dentana, and I didn't really want to go to <laughs> like. <laughs> world cat see what they could give me i was <laughs> oh like i'm God. just gonna stick to what i know is safe for work <laughs> uh anyway okay so we're at the end of the book segment so why don't you talk about what you're recommending yeah so Since i just started been spoiled on that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i just started reading this anthology of sci-fi stories that, that are all written by people of color i think and i just i went to like this event that had the the co-editor. I don't want to say your name because I'm going to say it wrong, but I'm sure if I give it to Elizabeth, she'll add it to the notes. Yeah, um, I can.
0: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll include it in the uh, podcast notes section. I know exactly how you feel though, because I feel about that all the time. Saying NK Yemenism's name, I don't know if that's correct. Like I just <laughs> like I've like committed to it now. I'm like NK. I'm sorry,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it's called Octavia's Brood, which is. A uh, shout out to um, Octavia Butler. So. Yeah. <laughs> also, I guess you should check out her books, too, <laughs> while you're at we're it. Actually,
0: we're actually reading her books later in the book club. I'm oh, doing, nice. Yeah, I'm doing a thing where um, I basically decided that, like, a lot of the best all-lady... Like, my my book club is mainly reading all, all ladies, so I'm just doing a, like, white woman, woman of color, white woman, woman of color, like, alternating months, because mm-hmm. um, I want to make sure we have good diversity. So we're reading, I think right now it's... Uh, scheduled for June don't hold me to that though <laughs> this <is a> podcast <laughs> as I said I can't open my laptop so I don't know <laughs> but yeah um and then we're reading uh, yeah because we're reading NK Yemenism in April I think that's oh it. my god that sounds yeah. really cool I'd be oh, definitely god. down check yeah. on that
1: but um, yeah the Star Wars thing and the American like one of the essays in that book is talking about that I guess oh really but like it wasn't the person that you mentioned yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Mumia El-Jabar yeah guys no remember? I, yeah. I don't.
0: I like Nyström. I don't think Nyström was the one who made this up. Like he was just <laughs> using it in a lecture. Like he does this thing where he'll like present us a theory mm-hmm. of like cultural studies, and um, he'll just present it through showing us an example in a text. So like for example, he showed us the theory that that uh, Adorno and Horkheimer, who are two like really big Marxist critics, their like big thing is that all pop culture is all the same, and you can tell that through form and sort of, like, how it's made. So he showed us a mashup of Smells Like Teen Spirit and Boodalicious, which all which like, work perfectly as a mashup. And he was like, this proves Adorno and Horkheimer that all pop culture is the same. And then, like, the rest of the course was him going, Adorno and Horkheimer are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love Adorno and Horkheimer because they were uh, two, um, two like, German Jews coming out of, like, like, in the 30s out of the Nazi regime where they did see, like especially radio, but like pop culture having a brainwashing effect on people. So their entire life they were like, pop culture is the root of all evil. (laughs) Everything bad is going to happen because of pop culture. So it's really great as a cultural critic to like read this stuff and just be like... You have some good points, but you're really
1: dumb. <laughs> and I don't think that really changes. I mean, even right? now you hear people <laughs> being like, oh my god. like Television. <laughs> yeah, television or like, I don't know. Do people actually watch TV on TV anymore? <laughs> but
0: <laughs> That is something that those people do say, yes. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Um, okay, so my recommendations are two things. One, this movie called Red Cliff from 2008. Um, was sold to me as the Chinese version of Troy. That is an incorrect way of describing it because it's actually a good movie. It is an amazing movie about a uh, battle that happened in uh, China in two, uh, 208 AD. The movie is four hours long. If you get the right version, please get the right version. And it is all about friendship. It also has some pretty terrible metaphors that they, they <laughs> shove into your face. Like there's this whole scene about like hunting a tiger and it's like, do you get the fact that the tiger is the evil person? You don't? Well, let's spend another five minutes on this. <laughs> I'm like, I love it. Anyway, um, it has uh, it is probably the best war movie I've ever seen full stop because one it shows peasants being killed like so often like they really focus on like the violence and sort of the like human cost of war in like a big way and two, it has the best character who I cast myself as. Um, I, I often do this. Like, I literally think like, I'm, like, going through a narrative and I'm like, this person is me. And <laughs> so in this uh, story, it, he appears in, like, the first 15 minutes and then he'll, like, reappear several times. This uh, very nice dude who's very good at, he's a hes a lieutenant or, like, he's, like, an important person in one of the armies. There are a lot of armies. Um, <laughs> he uh, rescues a baby he rescues his, like, general's only son, so he has to save the son, but it's in the middle of a in the middle of a battle so he literally straps the baby to his back and then fights for the next 15 minutes like literally with a baby on his back (laughs) like this dude is like where like he was just like the stay at home mom (laughs) who didn't want to stay at home anymore so he was like strapping the baby on and there's this like iconic scene where he like a spear like almost stabs him in the back but he manages to like turn away from it so all it does is rip off the baby from off his shoulder so then he jumps off his horse to like typically catch the baby. Oh <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> anyway, there are like so many elements of that movie that are amazing. But uh basically it's a war movie that's about friendship, and also it's the only war movie I have ever seen in which not a single woman like there is one death of a woman, and it's because she sacrifices herself so that her baby can be saved. And other than that, there's like a super important female character and like She's happy. But, like, she's, like, she, like, becomes, a like, a spy and hangs out in the enemy camp all the time. Like, she's just, like, so many good, happy female characters. That's uh, nice.
1: Right? I will check out that Right? Movie. You should. <laughs> it's
0: so good. I watched it over two days because it, uh, it has two parts. So mm-hmm. you can, like, commit to it, okay. you know, properly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other recommendation is, um, so... I have Carol privilege, which means that I got to see Carol, so I feel terrible recommending the movie, because it's, like, every single lesbian in, like, the world, everyone wants to see this movie, so, like, if I was like, uh, everyone should watch the movie Carol, everyone would just kill me. Like, I saw it yes, yesterday, two days ago, I saw it two days ago, and I will see it again in two days, <laughs> so I'm just, like, gonna be a bitch about that, no, but, um, <laughs> the thing I was going to recommend for all of you who don't have Carol privilege is uh listening to the Carol soundtrack. It's on Spotify and it's an amazing soundtrack. It's like really
1: calming. Is it instrumental or Uh yeah,
0: it has like two uh two songs from the 50s um that are like dispersed, but it's it's like an hour long and uh the like reoccurring theme is so beautiful. It's actually one of the things it got nominated for a Golden Globe for was the soundtrack. Uh, again, if I could open my laptop, I could tell you who the composer is, but I will put it in the notes. <laughs> and um, it's just oh, so good. So good. And um, anyway, I'm going to have a lot of feelings about the movie, probably with Kao next month in the episode, because um, I have a lot of feelings about how it was adapted from a book like Charlotte uh, my best friend Charlotte gave me a book on adaption theory and um, ever since then I've been like getting really excited
1: about talking about like adaption theory I, I want to read that what is it right? called <laughs> is it called adaption theory yeah it's called okay. adaption
0: theory I can I'll send you I'll send you the author's name I will okay. include in the show notes too and in case anyone wants to nerd out with a bunch <laughs> of
1: English major <laughs> oh my god that like thrilled me when you right. said that.
0: <laughs> right? Who knew that there was a whole thing on yeah. adaption? Charlotte. It's because um, her, Professor Hepburn is really into it, um, because she took a class on spy fiction where they did um, some movies as well as some books, and when they did the movies, they talked a lot about like the adaption theory behind that. And one of the big things that adaption theory talks about is like getting the affect of the book without necessarily sticking to the plot, mm-hmm. and... Um, so they actually talked about it in relation to Tinker Tailor, So Just the Benedict Cumberbatch version. So two thousand twelve, I think. I don't know. Anyway, like they talked about how that was a perfect adaptation even though it like retained zero of the plot. <laughs> Which I think is like really interesting. Yeah, like it is. it's it's a hard thing. Anyway, this was this was us. Thank you so much for talking with me, Anya. As always, you are listening to Galhalla Podcast, and the show was brought to you by me, Elizabeth Fillmore. My guest today was Anya. You can follow me at, at Willow Cabins and her at, at floor In 63 My wonderful producer and editor is Madeleine Mies. The icon is made by Jordan, and you can find her at atomic The Twitter banner art is done by Rose Godeka, and you can find her on Society6 at Scooby-Roo. The wonderfully eerie X-Files-type music you can't get out of your head is done by Synergy Tones, who you can find on Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thank you for listening, and see you in a fortnight, where special guest Carol, also known as Sans Groves or Carbot, will be discussing Supergirl in all her various forms with us.